So I just want to get right into his word. We're just so thankful for God's presence, aren't we? God is so good. He's so kind. He's so merciful. I want, this is a part two, and I want you to say out loud, greater glory. You can, your translations, there's all different, we're going to look at that in, 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 uh, in our text today, but depending on your translations, it says an increase, it says more, it says greater. We have a greater glory, and what I want us to do is I want us to turn to one of the most glorious moments in the Bible. Who knows Moses on the mountain? And I want you to look with me. We're going to continue in what we were getting into last week. I want to get deeper here. I want you to turn with me or look to the screen to the book of Exodus chapter 24. And as I said last week, Moses is kind of up and down the mountain quite a bit. In fact, if you really read verse by verse, it's, it can get a little confusing because he's up there, then God says, go down, then he's up there again, then he says, go down, tell the people, remind them of this, and he's like, I already reminded them, and he says, go down, but then he's back up again. So I'm not going to go through all the ups and downs. I just want to just talk about, uh, and you can read it on your own time uh, through Exodus. It's quite a bit of chapters, this mountain experience. Everybody say mountain experience. So I'm just clumping it together as one, but if I was to look at this technically, it is going up and down. So let's just look at it as him on the mountain. And it says here in Exodus chapter 25, uh, 24, verse 15, it says, Then Moses climbed up the mountain and the cloud, everybody say the cloud. The Bible says a cloud covered the mountain. And verse 16, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. So the cloud is the glory of God. All right, so the glory of God is the cloud, the cloud is the glory. But it says, on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. Now, let me just pause for a minute here. This is, this is interesting. Imagine being on top of a mountain for six days with zero food, zero water, and zero entertainment. You know, sometimes we're like, even if we're like, you know, we're waiting for somebody at a doctor's visit, what are you doing? It's like 40 minutes. And what are you doing? Playing a game. You know, if there is such a thing, there is still a magazine on the table, right? You're, you have to be entertained by something, right? You don't just sit there like this. Although sometimes I do see people just sit there like that, and I wonder what's going on through their, in their brain. <laughs> but imagine just sitting and waiting for the Lord's presence for six days straight, and on the seventh day, he shows up. And, you know, uh, that's not my sermon today, but last week I did hear the Lord speak that um, it's so cheap to just come and, and sing a song at a worship event and just say, oh, Lord, let your glory fall. Lord, let's see your face and see your glory. It's so cheap for what it really was required, what it took. And I don't have time to get into this today, but remember, for Moses to be on this mountain, he's been on a mountain before. Everybody say he's been there before, except the first time was just a glimpse. Remember, he saw the burning bush, and there was quite a journey and quite a bit of trust from him in the Lord, right? There was a wilderness experience, even, you know, even though it was short. We're not into it for 40 years now, but still, 
you know, trusting God and going through this process with God before his glory was even available to him. And so this is very important just to note, but we're not going to get into that any deeper. I just want you to note that on the seventh day, he was there in the Lord's presence. Uh, he was in his glory, but, and so I guess you wouldn't need to be entertained, would you, if you're in his glory? And yet, his voice doesn't speak, though, until the seventh day. And so it says, on the seventh day, the Lord called to him, and verse 17 says, it says, uh, and to the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, and the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. So the voice of God speaks, Moses hears it, and apparently they can hear it down below as well. And then it says this, though, verse 18, Then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher. Everybody say higher. And what I found as I was reading this, like I said, it's a little difficult to track with. We always just picture what I'm going to read in a moment in Exodus 33 and 34 as this moment of glory with God. But actually, when you really study it out, I'm finding this constant ascension up this mountain. There's constantly higher and higher and higher. So he's waiting in the glory. You know, the people are down below. There's a cloud on the mountain, and Moses is in some sort of a place with God that is not available to them. And you can get to a place with God where you're in God's presence that you're, the average person around you has no idea, right? And, you know, let me just say this as a commercial break, too. We need to not be worried or be ashamed uh, or try to normalize the presence of God. You need to just realize that there's always going to be the world. There's always going to be people down at the base of the mountain. And then there's going to be these mountain experiences. And I think probably the problem is that we talk about them. That's probably the problem, is that we should have, have these experiences with God, and we don't need to tell every single person about them. That's where it gets weird because then the person down below just doesn't understand. But when you're in the presence of God, who's been in his presence in that type of way where he's touched your life, and no one else is really going to understand what happened. And we need to just leave that there. That's a commercial break. But the point is that, that there is a deeper place in God that he's calling each of us. And what I want us to see today is that Moses was allowed to go where no one else could go. But don't, don't freeze there, because this is thousands of years ago, and who knows the end of the story. I'm getting somewhere with this today, but I'm going to lay some groundwork again. But regardless for, for this moment in time, uh, regardless of what we have in Christ, which I'm going to preach about today, at this moment in time, there was a place in God that Moses had available to him. God called him, but then Moses ascended. Moses climbed higher. At the burning bush, the Bible says that as Moses was walking by, God's invitation was there. Who's had the invitation of the Lord to you, right, as a believer? Your burning bush was this there. You're just, whatever it was, you're just carrying on with life. Moses didn't go looking for a burning bush one day. Let me go and find one. He's just carrying on with his life, and there's God interrupting his story. Aren't you thankful that God interrupted your story? But you know what our Bible says? It says, Moses turned aside. 
he turned to look. He said, what is this bush that's burning? Something caught his attention in his life, and he turned and had an encounter with God. God calls him, anoints him, and sends him. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's exactly what happened with Jesus and the disciples, and it's exactly what happens with you. There is this pinnacle moment in your life where God sparks inside you what was always in you. That's why Moses was already being the leader he needed to be, but he was doing it in the flesh, right? He's in Egypt. God, God. it's not by accident that he was picked up on the Nile, right, uh, by uh, Pharaoh's sister. It's not by accident that he was raised in the courts, you know, to essentially be among Pharaoh and, and, and the leaders. And it's not by accident that then uh, the other part of him, when he realizes his Hebrew heritage, that he takes things into his hands and kills you know, because it's an outrage. He sees the beating, he sees the whipping of his fellow Israelites, and so something inside of him is already a leader, is already somebody that has been plucked and placed above, and somebody in, who has inside of them this desire to want to free his fellow citizens. So you are who you are already, but you're in the world. And so God comes along and interrupts your story and basically gives the person that you all, that he made you to be purpose. But that's not the end of the story, is it? And he goes back, he goes into Egypt, he frees them, and here they are now. He has succeeded in doing what God said that he would do, and here we are at the mountain. He's in the glory of God, and now it's all about God's presence. It's all about going deeper and higher and higher. And so the Bible says in Exodus chapter 33, it says in verse 16, all right, so Moses is having a dialogue with God in chapter 33, and he says to God in verse 16, he says, how will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on your people if you don't go with us? He said, for your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. It is God's presence that Moses has realized at this point, the, the, I have realized it's all about your presence, God. It's all about the presence of God. So he says to the Lord, Lord, I, I want you to go with us. And so Moses says to God, uh, verse 17, the Lord says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you what you've asked. So Moses, in verse 18, just says, show me your glorious presence, or you may just know it as show me your glory. And so in chapter 34 is the actual encounter, and it's the most, it's the most famous encounter of Moses' story as far as when we're talking about the glory of God. It's not just the mountain, but this is the moment. It says in chapter 34, verse 5, then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his own name, Yahweh, the Lord or Jehovah, depending on how, because it's actually a, a transliteration, right? Is that how you say it? It's really just letters. 
We don't actually have the word. So some people say Yahweh, some people say Jehovah. It's the same name, but it's God's name is called out. And the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, verse 6. And the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And verse 8 says that Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshipped. Now, something happened. He spends 40 days and 40 nights up there with God, and he writes down the Ten Commandments from the Lord. And then it says in verse 29 that he's coming down off the mountain with the presence of God. He had this encounter with God, and now he has the law. Everybody say the law. The law was written on stone, but the law simply is God's will. So he's been in his presence. What do you get when you get into the presence of God? You will get the will of God. But in the old system, even Moses having this glory, and we're going to look at this verse in a moment, it still had to be chiseled on stone because there is no, there is no blood yet. Jesus has not paid the price yet, so we don't... He has an intimacy that we're reading this, and I'm like, wow, what an amazing story. And the mountain and the fire and, and, and the thunder and, the, and, and your presence. And we're reading this going, wow. And so what happens is, is, is he comes down and he says in verse 29 that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. Now, I want you just to shelf this thought for a moment, but I needed to read those verses again because I want you to re- I want to read this now. And I want you to look with me at the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. It says, The old covenant with laws etched in stone led to death. It was a covenant of death. So now, this amazing moment with God that Moses had with God is now... In the past, everybody say it's in the past. Everybody say it was amazing, but it was in the past. And so, in one more time, it was amazing, but we've got a new thing. It says the old covenant with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though that brightness was already fading away. Verse 8. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way or within the new covenant, we could say, because that's what he's referring to, under Christ. Shouldn't we expect greater glory? Who's read the book of Exodus there and read the story about Moses and think, wow, and who has craved an experience with God like that? You know, I didn't go, I don't go looking for God's voice. Um, I don't sit down and say, Lord, speak to me. I mean, I do say it, but I don't sit there and wait because then, then we can get weird. And sometimes he does, but most of the time I just say to the Lord, speak to me. 
and I would just worship him, and I praise him. Sometimes it comes instantly, sometimes it comes in a day, right, Jeannie? We've talked about this. It comes on the radio, it comes through a friend. It comes in so many different ways. We just open the word. There's the scripture that I needed to hear from the Lord, and that, that scripture may get to me. The word of the Lord may get to me in many different ways, but um, I don't just necessarily just hear things. But um, yesterday, out of the blue, I heard the Lord speak to me very clearly, and he said, do not crave, so do not crave the glory that Moses had, but crave what Jesus did on the cross. And I said, wow, Lord, wow. Now that's what this is all about. It says, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? It says, verse 9, if the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious. So, I mean, it was glorious. I mean, I, when I read that story and you read that story, we should have uh, an awe of God. We should be filled with awe. We should be filled with a holy fear of who God is. We should be just filled with this immense um, a respect for God and his greatness and his power and his might and all of those things never change from eternity from from will, will ever change even into eternity is what I'm trying to say but this glorious experience that Moses had fails to compare with what we have in Christ through the Holy Spirit it says uh if the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is this new covenant, this new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much glorious is the new way which remains forever. Are you seeing a pattern here in 2 Corinthians from Paul? I mean, he's really making his point. You ever read some of his verses? You're like, okay, I got it in the first verse. I'm, I'm getting it in the second verse, and he's still going on. He goes on and on. He goes on into verse 12. He says, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. What's he referring to? This verse, you can, I like, when I want to know what he speak, what some, what a verse says, you know what the first thing I do, and any good Bible scholar, any good Bible studier should go to the word to find the definition of the word. Because if you find a verse that you're asking the Lord, what do you mean here? He's probably got an answer within his word. And what's it say? Come on, what do we know? There's multiple verses. We can come boldly before his throne, right? We can see that we can connect those dots all the way back to... Esther and the Old Testament, all the way forward into the, into the future, into the New Testament. And we can see this picture. He says, come boldly before my throne. Come boldly into my presence. So he says, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses, who had to put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. And then he goes on to say, just for time, I'm just going to breeze through here, but basically the old covenant was like this, this, this veil that just kind of came on, even just hearing the words, like just a dullness of heart. And, and it says that only Christ can remove this veil. And verse 15 saying that even today the same thing happens, but it's Jesus who pulls the veil back and says, whenever, verse 16, someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
It says, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see, everybody say, I can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. The Bible says that Moses, what he experienced was glorious. It was, but in comparison. It's not even glorious when we compare it, right? It's like saying, I've got $100. Is $100 a lot of money? Well, compare it to $1 billion. Is it still a lot? $100 is a lot, except if you compare it to a billion. What about if you take a billion and you use these made-up numbers, the word trillion, right? They're just made-up numbers. Just, they're just moving these numbers around. You don't even realize. You ever see those pictures? where they show like what, what a million dollars is and can fit in a suitcase, and then like a billion dollars and use a forklift. You don't realize the difference. And that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, yeah, it was glorious, but if you compare it to what we have in Christ, it's so not glorious only because we're comparing it to Christ. It wasn't that it was. That's why the people were still stuck on Moses and Abraham, and Jesus is trying to break this like barrier when he comes to tell them, hey, yeah, I know what you received from Moses was amazing, and you say you had manna from him, and, and you say your, fa your father's Abraham, but I'm trying to tell you that these people were just people. They were just men, and they were shadows. They were pointing towards me. Wow. So when I read a story like Moses on the mountain, I can say, Lord, uh, this isn't something that I have to, to desire for in some sort of uh, uh, ritual, religious, Old Testament way, uh, but this, but some of the principles of paying the price, like I said, and 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 going that what it like what it takes in God is to give your life. It's going to require. So those principles are the same. And yet, with all that said, I can't just go climb a mountain and find God. That's not where He is. God's not on a mountain. And I've got verses in Hebrews, we just don't have time. He's not on a mountain anymore. And we're going to look at it, hopefully with the clock, but he's not in a temple anymore. Where is he? All of it was pointing towards Christ, and all of it will all glorify Christ. And Christ is simultaneously seated on the throne at the right hand of God and also dwelling in his temple, which is in us the mountain of God, and we're going to look today. So we're going to start, to, let's just break this down. Let's see here now. Firstly, I just want to say this one more time before we move forward. Verse 18 says, I can do two things. Number one, right, your translation might say, behold him like a mirror. What's a mirror do? When you look at a mirror, who do you see? Do you see God or you see you, right? Well, you can see, right, you see you. But my Bible says I'm beholding him. Why is that? Because I and him are the same. It's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That means when I look in the mirror, I am actually seeing the glory of God because his glory is, I've become one with him. That means that when I look, yeah, I can see Adam in the mirror. All right, I see that person. But there is something deeper. There is Christ in me that is, and who has seen a new convert? They literally radiate. 
Come on, you got to. Re- we have to remember what it was like there, and we should be experiencing God like that. We should be new converts every day. I'm not saying re-getting saved, but that same fire, that same spark, should never die. Should never wane. But right, who who just loves when you see somebody who really gets it? Like I've seen lots of people that say yes to a salvation prayer, and that's between them and the Lord. You know, I don't touch that. I don't touch that here in this church. I don't think that's salvation. I think that that is what a spark. I think that is words that could match the heart. But I think a lot of people say a lot of things, but they don't really mean it. Just because you say it doesn't mean it was your heart, right? I can say I'm a dog, and I can say it, and I could believe it. And some people do really believe it. We talked about this recently, right? Using kitty litter in the women's bathroom. They think they're animals. You can say it, but anyway, uh, I've seen people say the prayers, and then I've seen where it just, they get it. And that's between them and the Lord. I'm not, that's not my job to judge. It's my job to tell you the gospel, to tell you the word in its fullness. And when someone gets it, there is like a radiating. God's glory does radiate from them. It's the same exact thing that happened there with Moses. There is like a radiating, and some people don't understand how to compute it. Like, what's up with you? My friends at the time said, you used to be cooler. I was radiating God, but they didn't like my radiation. They liked the old one because they were still worldly. But they could see a difference. And I was born and raised in a Christian home. But at one point, it went from my head to my heart. At some point, it just clicked. And I'm not saying I wasn't saved, but I honestly would debate that. I would be willing from even my own soul that that was an interesting, great, that was a place of, I mean, thank God for grace. But I don't know where I was at in that place. I know I knew it in my head. But there was a point when it clicked, and I knew that the Lord was calling me to that deeper place to know him, to go from knowledge to knowing. And when that happens, there was a radiating. And then I just wanted to, I took all my CDs. Here I am in this Christian home, and I got this big pile of secular CDs my mom didn't know about. And I took them outside. Nobody told me to do this. We didn't have YouTube. I'm not watching people. Like everybody. And I wasn't even in a youth group at the time. I mean, I, why did I think to do this? I took a hammer, and I smashed them to bits. I used to lay in bed at night with my eyes closed and put my album on and let it play into my sleep. These terrible, awful, secular albums. As a Christian home. You know, downstairs, nobody even knows, right? See, this is the thing. That's why, you know, it really comes down, you really need to know him. Doesn't matter what you say you believe. Doesn't matter what church you attend, what home you live in. You have to make the decision. I believe. And that's a different, there is a point, there is something that happens. Something happens supernatural. And then I took, I found some gasoline and I burned them into the ground. I'm serious. That's a true story. And I don't know why, but for some reason, I thought it was okay to swear. All my friends swore. That's just how kids talk, right? So I was swearing. Well, I stopped. I wasn't like, oh, the scriptures say don't swear. 
I didn't even get to that yet. I mean, of course, you would think, well, why wouldn't you know that? Of course you know that, but it's just like this dullness, a veil, a veil. And then all of a sudden, the veil comes off, and I behold him face to face, and I'm changed. There's a new image. And my friend, my best friend, actually, the kid who said it to me, used to be a lot cooler. It was my best friend. We parted, we, we really were never that friend ever again. I mean, years, best friends. I mean, best friends. Like, you know, like a classic teenager best friend. And then that was it. We just, because I had changed. I had a new image. So what happens is, is Moses comes off the mountain. What happens when he comes off the mountain? He comes down. I see him just carrying these stones down. You know something interesting? We always picture it as two two stones, but doesn't actually say he chiseled out two, just says he chiseled out the stones. Some scholars say it was probably ten, you know, one on each, like it was each a covenant for each. I don't know, maybe it was one big giant stone. doesn't really matter. But he's carrying the stones down. He's coming down with the presence of God. He's taking the presence of God that he got. He doesn't just go and just live in his presence, and that's amazing. We're going to do that in heaven. We're not meant God's presence in your life is not for you. This is the craziest thing. You need it. Say, everybody say, I need it. You can't live without it. There's no life without it. Your image can't be changed without it. And yet, it's not for you. He carries the image of God down to the people. Now, in that case, pre-blood, pre-Holy Spirit, it still had to be veiled. But nonetheless, the presence of God was there. And here's the word. In its baby state, the word is just the Ten Commandments. Right Then man, they needed to, all these regulations, they just keep adding and adding and adding and adding and adding, and then it gets to be where Jesus is standing in front of them. You know, the, the disciples are hungry. They're plucking the heads of grain, walking through the fields, serving in the ministry of Christ, and they're so religious that they said, you're working on the Sabbath. Because they had gotten so stuck. But here it is in its baby state. That's it, just simplicity. Just know me and do what I say because I love you and because you love me. That's it. Not because it's rules. It's 10 simple things that you need to do. And there it is, very simple. And so they build a tabernacle. Everybody say a tabernacle. And there in that place, it was just a tent. God just, God said, you know, he tells David later on, like, I don't even need, I don't need a building. Solomon builds him one. Look at that. Look what happens. Look at Solomon's life. The, most, the wisest man who ever lived and said no one would ever touch his wisdom, even the wise that have come since. It says no one would ever touch his wisdom and his riches. He builds a temple, and before he's even gone, it's already on a, it's already on a slippery slope to be torn down. So the tabernacle is what? It was they, they build. God says, I want you to build an ark. And upon the ark, I want you to craft a picture of heaven, a picture of who I am. And I want you to put the covering of the angels over the mercy seat, the atonement cover. And it says there in that place, I'm going to meet with you. So God creates a meeting place between mankind and his glorious presence. So it's on a mountain. 
It comes down in, down off the mountain, and the Bible says when it was all set, the glory cloud settled over the tent, and Moses went in. Fast forward, finally, we're going to build this luxurious, amazing golden temple, and you know, it's not the Lord's perfect way, but the Lord comes and tells Solomon, I love you, and I see what you've built me, and he honors it. Even though it really wasn't what he desired, God honored it, and God came down and rested on the temple in his, in his glorious presence. You can find that in Chronicles. We don't have time. And then the Bible says, what? Rebellion comes. It gets torn down. They rebuild it again. We know in 70 AD it's been torn down and never rebuilt. And that's the story of the glory of God within a building. But wait, the story doesn't stop there, does it? Praise God. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says in Hebrews 12, you have not come to a physical mountain, verse 18, to a place of flaming fire and darkness and gloom and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. It says, Hebrews 12, verse 22, no, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And it goes on in verse 23, you're in the assembly of his children and where his names are written and you have come to God himself, verse 23. Verse 24, you have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out of vengeance like the blood of Abel and says, verse 25, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. And what I, why I wanted to read this is he's saying, you may look at that and think, wow, and he's saying, listen, not only is it a greater glory, there's a greater responsibility. Everybody say greater glory, greater responsibility. We talk about the grace of Christ versus the vengeance and, and darkness of God in the Old Testament, which I, that's not me. I'm not saying that, but that's what we think. We think of God as this like hard, you know, no compassion, no grace God in the Old Testament. Suddenly God is, you can do whatever you want. I just love you just because you're my children's ooey gooey. I just love you. You just do whatever you want. Go murder. You go sleep around. You just speak however you want. I love you. Meanwhile, my Bible says, when they refuse to listen to Moses, he's just an earthly messenger. Now God is speaking from heaven himself to everyone. Wow. Isn't that powerful? It says, when God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise, verse 26, once again I will shake not only the earth but the heavens also. And this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. And since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. 
This is making a direct connection between Moses on the mountain, because that's exactly what it says. It says that he's a, he said it was a consuming fire on the mountain, and here he is, the same God, and he's saying the same thing to us, except saying, I shook once, but I'm going to shake again. You must be a part of my kingdom, and to be a part means that we must worship him with holy fear and awe. In the same way that Moses worshipped God. See, I said last week, they were down there building a golden calf. Thinking they were worshipping. And I said, a lot of the church today has become this experienced thing where they dance around, sing some songs, it looks churchy. And yet, it's made up, it's just... It's something, like I said, you see the writing on the wall. When Jesus started coming off the churches, everybody felt like they needed to change their name, you know, from instead of the new covenant, right? It's got to be some sort of, you know, some sort of whatever. I'm not saying anything else. But you got something hip and, and no crosses and for replacing Jesus with cappuccinos. And meanwhile, where God was, was on the mountain. In worship. I'm not talking about a worship like singing a song. I mean a devoted life. That's what I was trying to get to. Moses gave his life. He left Egypt a long time ago. He left the world behind him a long time ago, and he paid a price and gave his life, which led him into the presence of God. Praise God. That's where we go. You leave your old life behind. Where it's heading is into his presence, and yet that's not even it. That's just you. But you're just one person. All of that is so now he can take this vessel that's been purified in the fire, that has given up their life and come into his presence and knows him to be now a reflection of his glory into that same church. Wow. Sends you back down to that church. Come on. You're not down there to judge them. You're not down there to point your finger at all the things that they do. But he sends you back down with the word of God and with the presence of God because that's what they're missing. What they were missing is the word of God and the presence of God. And we are in a time today where the church is missing the presence of God. And you know what you get? You get golden calves. You get deadness. It's just an event. It's just a thing. It's noisy. It's loud. It can be a big coliseum. But there's no presence of God there. And without the presence of God, Moses said it. Without your presence, what are we? Who am I? Who, like, what makes me different? What separates me? And when you experience the presence of God, that's all you want. Wow. Wow, God's so good, isn't he? He's so good. So you know what's amazing is, and I think it's so easy to miss because it doesn't seem as crazy, but if you read in the book of, had it here, there's this amazing moment, and it, it's, like I said, it's very easy to miss, but it's in Mark 9, and it says Jesus is there, right? Peter and James and John are there, and they're on this high mountain, and Jesus has changed. His appearance is transformed, and his clothes become dazzling white, verse 3, Mark 9, far whiter than any earthly beach could ever make them. And then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Then a cloud, everybody say a cloud, 
A cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Do you see what the direct connection here is? There's the mountain. There's Jesus. There's the cloud. He says, listen to him. What is that? That's like, who's ever watched a, a trilogy? You know, movies? You got this the beginning, you know, it's like just getting things started. That's part two. Part two, he's saying, okay, listen. And, and that, like I said, that was their, it was, they were having this major battle. They literally put Jesus on the cross because Jesus was battling against Moses. He wasn't, Jesus really wasn't, but that's in their minds he was. Because Jesus was actually ending something. It was amazing, and it foreshadowed and it pointed to him, but now this is an end of an era, and it's in me. And what happens is, is if we try to go back and create this thing called church at the base of the mountain, even though it looks like it's new and we can take some new lingos, and you know, what this, you know why God gave them the gold and the silver to leave Egypt? You know what our Bible says? Later on, they do the right thing. Why? What was it for? For the temple. So they collect, Moses collects it to, to, to make the, the things, the, the golden lampstand and to cover the ark with the gold. God blessed them and they took their blessings and made their own idols. And meanwhile, God had blessed them for his church, for his temple. And what happens is if we try to, to do a church thing, try to do a religious th thing, just going through the motions, we are not only missing God, and I don't want to miss him, but we are also actually even more severely even grieving the Holy Spirit, that's what our Bible says, and even more than that, if there could be something more, is that it's not just about you, but there's an entire world of people that you are the only one that can influence, and you might think that's not fair. How could God send someone to hell because I don't preach to them? You can take that up with God, but that's how it works. Not one of you in here got saved by not somebody spoke to you, and if they didn't, you wouldn't have heard the gospel. Thank God that they came. But that means that that's your job for the next ones around you. Just for time, I'll just tell you this, that the Bible says in Revelations chapter, Revelation, not Revelations, Revelation chapter 21. Let's just read this really quick. Uh, Revelation 21, verse 1. It says, I saw a new heaven. Everybody say a new heaven and a new earth. It says, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and, and the sea was gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, that is key. Everybody say, Jerusalem is Jesus' bride. Now, that's important, because everybody thinks Jerusalem is a place. Yes, it's still on our map today. Israel's still there. God's going to use that nation, and, he, and we love them. We love those people. We also love people in Russia and people in Argentina, all right? So God loves the whole earth, but yes, Israel is there. Jerusalem's there. God's going to use it to unravel a, a revelation timeline. But Jerusalem is not just a place on the earthly map, but it is a people. Everybody say, it is a people. Because the Bible says, 
that Jerusalem's coming down out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's tabernacle. It says home here in the NLT, but in any older translation, it says tabernacle is now. So he's done with the temple, done with the building, because the tabernacle is just a tent. You know, it's funny, you know, when you're in a tent and, you, you know, it's like putting your covers over you, you know, protect yourself from the bad guy in your house. You know, you put the cover, if you're scared in the night, just put the covers over your head. If you're in the tent in the woods and there's a bear outside, like that little fabric's going to stop him. But you feel safe inside, don't you? And the point is, it's just a tent. It's not a building. The tabernacle was not. It was God's presence right there. It was right amongst the people. You didn't have to go to a place. In fact, you know, Jeannie's done this, this. She's shown us this in the study before that they surrounded it, right? In fact, you could look and maybe even surround it like a cross. It looks like maybe even that's how they were positioned. But there's his presence right in the center of them. And here we are in Revelation 21 when it's all said and done. I'm wrapping up. But it says, there's a tabernacle now among his people. He says, he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. And then if you look down in verse 9, he's saying that, he says, come with me and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So he says, I'm going to show you the bride. Come on, who's the bride? Come on, let's just fast forward to this mature church here. Who's the bride? We are the bride. We are the bride of Christ. Well, if you were to read Revelation 2 literally and not allegorically, you might miss something here because a lot of people think that God's going to bring a city. God's going to bring the temple back. Some people think God's going to restore back a temple worship. That's totally false. That's not what my Bible says. The Bible says in verse 9, let me show you the bride, verse 10, so he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain. You think that's by accident that there's a high mountain with Moses and a high mountain with Jesus in the transfiguration? And now here's a high mountain again because it's all been done. I finally got to the place that I've been trying to get to since Adam and Eve sinned. And here we are at the end of time. And here's a mountain again. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. Wait a second. I thought you said you're showing me the bride. I am. I'm showing you Jerusalem, which is my people. You are the Jerusalem. You are. The Bible says a Jew is not a Jew. A Jew is someone, I mean, I, we don't have time to get into the study, right? But it's one who knows Christ. Come on, that's the Bible. It says, so he took me and showed me Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. And I saw, verse 22, no temple. In God's holy city, the way he wants it, there's no temple. It is you are a place that he dwells. The reason he can use you and simultaneously they are equals and call you a person, Jerusalem, is because you are also say, I'm a place. You might look like a person, but you're a place. What is it a place for? It's a place for God to dwell. And it doesn't just, you don't have to wait till Revelation to see it. Jesus already, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is what? Come on, your translation might say it differently, but mine says he's our down payment. You know what a down payment is? That's as good, that is as good as the, con, that's saying we're doing this. It's done. Here's some proof. So he said, here's the Holy Spirit, a little glimpse of what it's going to be. My presence in you. Everybody say his presence in me. His glory 
is in me. Say it out loud. Say, his glory is supposed to dwell in me. And it says, so I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And I know that we're out of time, but I need to read this these verses because it's amazing and the city has no need of sun or moon for the glory of god illuminates the city and the lamb is its light so look at this all the way from moses here we are again on the mountain in the glory of god and he's showing us he's unpulling back the curtain and showing you exactly what was happening here's a person that god can come and dwell in all right so if the city doesn't need light who's the city we just said it the bible says that the light has come and shines in your heart and the bible says jesus said it you are the light to the world so his light shines inside you, illuminates you, and then you illuminate the path for other people. And here we are at the end of time, and we're going to see it. Then it's going to go from within my heart to being physical, whatever that means. I can't even imagine. Don't try to imagine it because your mind is going to mess it up, right? You ever, I don't know, for those of you that have had babies, it's the weirdest thing. For nine months, you know that baby's there. You can see the lump. See the bump? You know it's there, he or she, right? But you're like, I still can't imagine what it's going to be like, him or her, what they're going to sound like with their personality, what it's going to be like. But you know that it's there. You know this moment's coming. And when it comes, that's what the Bible says, just like when Jesus comes. Come on, there's a, there is a season of time. It seems like Dawn always said, God messed up. It should have been eight months because when that last month comes, it's one month too long. I mean, that woman is ready. I'm done. They are frustrated. They're tired. I am ready to have this baby. Maybe some women didn't have that experience, but at month nine, I'm ready. And you know, there's when that moment comes, it might be a couple of delays. It might be some hours. It might be a couple of days, but there is no stopping what is about to happen. And it's the same way for us. Right now, we have this down payment. I have his light illuminating in my heart. He's done something internally. I, my image has been changed, but one, it's going to come out. We're going to come into, into reality where, where heaven and earth truly right here, revelation, become one. And it says that uh, even the nations, 24, walk in the glory of the city and and then it says, and just, just for time here, 27, nothing evil will be allowed to enter and nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Wow. Wow. I had to read all that. I just, how do I choose what to cut and what to read here? But wow, God is so good, isn't he? I just want to pray. Thank you, Lord. Uh, for this message, and I thank you, Lord, that you have given us life. Lord, we are so blessed by what you've done for us, Lord. We don't even realize what you've done. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray, God, that we would not grieve you by making what you've done cheap, but I pray that we would recognize the seriousness of what you've done. We would see, Lord, your word, even the word glory, means heavy and weighty. I pray that, Lord, we would not think it's condemnation, but, Lord, that we would feel the weight of your glory. There is a heaviness. and We would not just be constantly trying to push it away, 
Lord, it's not condemnation, but there is a there is a weight to being in his presence and to knowing him and walking with him. I pray that we would feel that and we would be aware of it and we would, Lord, go into that place that you called us into boldly. Receive your presence, Lord, and take it into the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God.